worked. So it is my privilege uh, to be able to um, teach here today. Um, so as a quick introduction in terms of what we'll be covering off today, you might recall back in July when I last spoke, um, we went through James chapter, through, uh, chapter 3, uh, but the focus of that sermon was more on that first half of the chapter um, about controlling our tongues or using our words. Uh, and we hadn't gone to much depth on verses 13 onwards. Um, so today I would like to look at these verses further um, within chapter 3 before moving on to chapter 4 as well. Uh, also, you should hopefully see there is actually quite a co- strong connection between the second half of chapter 3 um, and then that first half of chapter 4 as well. So it works quite well putting these two together um, within the same teaching. So we will just open in prayer before we get into it. Lord, I thank you that we can um, open your scriptures so freely here in New Zealand. Um, we thank you for that freedom and I pray that we will not take that for granted. Um, I thank you for the opportunity to, to open your word and teach here today. I pray that um, you'll speak through me to those people that are listening um, and that you will Help me to interpret your scriptures accurately to bring about maturity and faith of those that listen. Amen. So before studying uh, a chapter within a book, it's always worth um, looking and reminding ourselves what the, the book is about and what that purpose is, what the writer um, is trying to trying to tell um, the, the audience or the, the intended audience of the book. So the book of James is written to believers who have been scattered among those nations and um, there's persecution within Jerusalem um, which scattered those believers um, and, and spread them around which actually helped to spread the gospel but they're living among pagan nations that do not worship um, their God so the main focus of the book is about maturity of faith or growing stronger in our faith um, as opposed to salvation and how we are saved which a number of Paul's books um, refer to especially Romans uh, we find many practical instructions on how to conduct ourselves um, as ambassadors for Christ. So far we've gone through temptations, um, we've gone through trials, favoritism, listening and doing, uh, good works, and, and in July we covered controlling the tongue. So with this background knowledge on what James was trying to convey with this book, um, this helps us to avoid any confusion, for example, in chapter 2 where James talks to the, is talking to the believers and instructs them that it is through their good works that they might show that they are saved. He is not teaching that we are saved by faith and works. He is saying rather that our works are a tangible evidence of our saving faith. So moving on to our passage for today. So back in July, we mainly looked at verses 1 to 12 of James chapter 3. Um, we addresses those who are teaching within the church Um, and instructs them on how to speak or how to use their tongue. So remember that analogy of the tongue being like a rider on a ship, um, directing where that ship goes or the reins on a horse. Um, How you control those reins determines where that horse goes, um, which which James is trying to say. This is how you control your tongue is how you'll direct your life. And if used wrongly, he gave that analogy of a forest fire. Our tongue can cause a spark which causes such destruction. In verse 13, we will pick up today, uh, James expands on the instruction for teachers um, on not only how to speak, but how they should also act um, and what the true source of wisdom is. 
So if you'd like to turn with me to James chapter 3, um, and we'll be reading from verse 13 onwards before looking into each verse in more depth. James chapter 3, verse 13. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. These things are uh, earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds, shows no favoritism, and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Earlier in the chapter, we've just read that what comes out of our mouth is a good indicator of our heart. James gives the analogy that if you pick figs off a plant, then it must be a fig tree. Or if you taste the water um, and it's bitter, then the spring or the source of the water must also be bitter. So too, the nature of our words showed the condition of our hearts, is, is what we learned. James carries on this teachers and now addresses that the source of true wisdom is, um, and what are some good indicators of godly wisdom in a person. He brings to light that idea that wisdom isn't just head knowledge. Godly wisdom will also show itself in our actions by what we do. So James carries on with... Um, James addresses those who claim to be wise in understanding of God's ways. And obviously the first people that jump to mind here are those who teach. Um, and even the word used here by James for wise um, is sophos, which um, is the technical term used in the Jewish for um, teacher or a scribe or a rabbi. Um, however, as I pointed out with my last sermon um, on teaching and controlling of the tongue, we shouldn't just limit this to saying this is only about teachers um, or those who might preach. Um, we should all be striving to be wise in understanding of God's ways. So this is relevant to everyone. So picking up in verse 13, James says, If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. James is saying that our actions should evidence and accompany godly wisdom. It is not just head knowledge, but will reflect itself in the way we live. He also brings in the very unworldly idea that the more wisdom and knowledge you have, the more humble you should be. The world is say the more you know, the more you have to boast in. The phrase, prove it here, um, James says, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life. Um, it's a phrase that we often hear in everyday language. It might be used in the sentence, if you say you love me, prove it. You can fill in the blank. Or if you say you're sorry, if you're truly sorry, then prove it. Um, so what's that underlying principle here behind this phrase? It's that words are easy, actions are much harder. It is also looking for evidence to back up the statement. Think of the examples I've just given you of this phrase. What would typically follow on would be, uh, what would typically just happen is someone said, um, someone said that they love someone, 
um, or said that they're sorry, and that person turns around and says, if that is true, then prove it by this particular action. And if that action isn't evidence, then it would typically be viewed that the words are not truly meant. In saying, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. But you can also flip this around to say, if someone claims to be wise in understanding of God's ways, but is not living an honorable life or doing good works with humility, then they're not actually wise or understanding of God's ways. So who is James trying to address here? This looks to be a good test for identifying false teachers. If you see a church leader or someone in ministry um, who is boasting about their works, they're not showing that humility, or not living an honorable life, then you can identify that they're not wise in understanding of God's ways. And this is a common theme of James's teachings, of proving a statement with your actions. James chapter 2, James says, Prove to others you are saved by your good works. Chapter 3, Prove you are religious by controlling your tongue. First uh, John chapter 2, verse 4 reads, 1 John chapter 2, verse 4 if someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So James teaches, prove you are wise in understanding of God's ways by living an honorable life and doing good works with humility. Words are easy, actions are much higher. Wisdom is not just head knowledge. Verse 14. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. That Don't cover it up. And I think all teachers can be guilty of jealousy or selfish ambition at times. For example, I might see Nick up here preaching the week before me. Um, and Nick's a very gifted teacher, um, and so it can be hard not to feel competitive. Um, but James warns us, our motivation for preaching should not be those worldly or evil desires. They should be to glorify God, share the gospel, um, and see the listeners mature in faith through an accurate interpretation of the scriptures, not selfish ambition or jealousy. Our motive shouldn't be to try and outdo the sermon from the week before. First, James tells us what, that these shouldn't be the motives. However, we all fall into sin and sometimes have these motives. James says, don't try and cover up with jealous, uh, this jealousy or selfish ambition with boasting or lying. We need to humbly admit these things before God so that he might do a work within us to change our hearts. James knows our human weakness and that we are living within a fleshly body. Um, and so we must be constantly, constantly at war against that sinful nature which is within us. We must humbly acknowledge these things. And that humility and acknowledging sin was that key characteristic that Jesus looked for. Um, think of the poor, the weak, the sick, um, the downcast in society. They came to him acknowledging their sin um, and compare that with the Pharisee who thought they were made righteous by their own works. And who did Jesus have compassion for, right? David was by no means perfect or sinless, yet he was called a man after God's own heart. Um, and I think what this really comes down to is his humility before God. 
um, just read through the Psalms to see this, um, his, his heart to, um, to worship God um, in his humility when he had sinned. Verses 15 and 16. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Selfish ambition is the opposite of humility, which is one of the characteristics that James listed of a, a godly wisdom and understanding. Where so-called wisdom is driven by selfishness or, or jealousy, it's not really wisdom at all. It's driven by a worldly and an unspiritual desire. And, and James said here it can even be demonic-inspired. And so obviously this is not the wisdom we want to be pursuing as Christians. So what is godly wisdom and what does it look like? Uh, James really expands on this and gives us some more information. Verses 17. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. It's first of all pure, um, free from sin and, and fleshly desires. Um, think of that meaning of, of pure gold. It would be 100% gold, no imperfections, no impurities. Um, it's also peace-loving. It's gentle at all times. It's willing to yield to others. Um, and when you think about what willing to yield to others means, it's, it's, it's open to correction. Godly wisdom is open to correction from others. Uh, it is, shows no favoritism, and it's always sincere. Again, this idea that wisdom isn't just head knowledge. Uh, we need to prove it through our actions and the way that we live. And I guess from, yeah, from that passage, it's just, isn't godly wisdom something to strive for? Though Those characteristics um, are just so crucial to our lives. On to James chapter 4. So, uh, we'll, as we read through this first half of the chapter, you'll see that there's many similar themes and topics that come through um, that we've just covered off in those in those verses just now in chapter 3. So that's part of, part of why I wanted to combine them together today. It focuses um, in James chapter 4, um, that first part focuses on conflict within the church. Um, what are some of the causes? What are some of the solutions to it? Um, if you'd like to read through with me from verses 1 to 10, um, and then we'll go through verse by verse again. What is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because our motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. What do you think the scriptures mean when they say the spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy? But he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but favors the humble. So humble yourself before God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Wash, you ha wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. 
Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourself before God and he will lift you up in honour. That verse 1, as we'll start. So, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? So, that source of quarrels and fighting among believers, among the church, it's that evil desires within us. Um, it's not godly. And again, we see jealousy pop up um, as one of those evil desires. This fighting and quarrels is a massive hindrance to us drawing closer to God, maturity of faith, and also unity um, of the body. Um, James says those evil desires at war within us, um, our flesh and our sinful nature at war with our spirit, there's that tension. Romans 7 verse 18, um, I've always found this a bit of a tongue twister, but it just summarizes the struggle so well. Um, so Romans 7 verse 18 reads, uh, and I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. And it's that sinful nature that lives within us that causes that conflict and quarrels within the body of Christ. Verse 2. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. James uses that graphic terminology here to grab the reader's attention. Murder. Um, this jealousy within the body results in hatred, and, and Jesus calls um, hatred the, the murder of the heart. We see someone within the church with the gift of teaching, uh, music, evangelism, or hospitality, whatever it might be. Uh, we should not be jealous or, or wage war um, over it to take that away from them. This is that worldly concept. If I can't have it, then I, I don't want anyone else to have it either. Um, I remember this short story that, that mum read us once. Um, so what happened was there was this guy who owned a small shop, um, and he was always jealous of the shop owner down the road who had a few more customers than he did. Um, and so one night, the fairy comes to him in a dream and says to the guy, I'll, I'll grant you one wish on the condition that your, your, the guy down the road with the other shop will get that wish twofold. The guy thinks for a while in conflict about this condition on the wish. Then a smile comes to his face and he says, I wish I would lose half of my business. It's, it's this idea of that bitter jealousy within us, and if we can't have it ourselves, then we don't want anyone else to have it either, right? James says, don't look to try and destroy other people's gifts. Um, if it's a righteous gift, then ask God for it. Um, he is addressing those who don't pray for these things, but rather try and take them away from other people. So don't be jealous of someone else's knowledge of Scripture. Spend time in the Word. Pray. Um, ability to evangelize, um, ask God for these things. Well, maybe it's a worldly possession or, or status that as believers we become jealous of, um, which leads us on to verse 3. 
verse 3. Uh, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. So James now addresses those who ask God for things but have the wrong motives. God is not a, a genie in a lamp to satisfy, satisfy our fleshly pleasures. If you're familiar with the, the book of Aladdin, um, we also it illustrates quite well how um, we will never be satisfied with earth, worldly pleasures. Um, we can have all the glory in the world um, at our fingertips um, and we'll be never be satisfied. It is only when we're released from these worldly pleasures um, and move past trying to satisfy the lusts of the flesh um, that we actually um, and, and put our place our hope, um, trust, and identity, identity in Christ um, that we'll find that true fulfillment and satisfaction. Again, prayer is not a blank check for us to write an amount and a purpose. Um, prayer is not so much about us trying to change God's mind, but it's rather normally about us changing our hearts um, to line up with his will. Our prayers are petitions, not demands, um, and most importantly, it is about seeking his will. Uh, if you'd like to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, uh, where Jesus teaches us about prayer. Matthew chapter 6. Uh, and we'll be reading Matthew 6 verse 7. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Key takeouts here, a few key takeouts here from this passage. Firstly, Jesus teaches that God already knows what we need, even before we ask him. And then secondly, he says, he teaches us to pray, God's will be done. Um, it's not our will be done, it's his will. And for me, this passage in, in James that we've just covered, it's a reminder to, to pray and seek God for righteous things, um, to be an effective teacher for godly wisdom and knowledge, to be an effective evangelist, um, to share the gospel. Verse 4. Uh, you adulterers, he says, um, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Now we need to be aware of that terminology um, that's being used here. In this context, James is not just talking about, um, or not talking about, people that are unfaithful to their spice, uh, spouse sorry, um, in action or, or lustful thoughts. Um, rather, um, and so this is not an easy out for us to be able to ignore that second pass, part of the passage um, by thinking, oh, we're not committing adultery, so this isn't relevant. Uh, it's just like in verse 2 where James talks about murder, um, and we shouldn't glance over the verse because we think we haven't murdered anyone. What James is referring to here um, is adultery against God. The Israelites entered into a covenant relationship with um, God um, in Exodus in the desert. And so breaking that covenant and, and worshipping other gods was referred to as adultery because they were breaking a covenant relationship. We enter into a, a new covenant with Jesus and his blood um, as Christians and we commit adultery 
and, and break that covenant when we're friends of this world. Um, I was going to read through that passage, but um, Kirsten read through it for me this morning. Um, so we'll cut that out. So, yeah, it's just we are made new and we enter into that covenant um, when we um, accept Jesus into our lives and trust him as our Lord and Savior um, to take the punishment for our sins. Just like the Israelites were saved by the blood of the lamb on their doorpost in Egypt, we are saved by the, the blood of Jesus who took the punishment for our sins um, on the cross. And when we put our trust in him, um, we enter into a covenant relationship. So what does it mean to be a, a friend of this world? Is this saying that we should go and live in a, a separate um, society or a cult community like Gloria Vale? Um, of course not. Um, if we take a quick look at two other passages of Scripture that use this term um, in this way, world, um, then we'll get some clarity on, on what James is trying to say here. Uh, so 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For the world offers only craving for physical pleasures, a craving for everything we see, and a pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but from this world. So that's 1 John 2.15. Um, and then Romans 12, verse 2. There's another one. Uh, Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove that the will of God, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. This term, um, friend of God, um, it's talking about living by the lusts of our flesh. Um, and living in sin, which as a believer we're, we're not to do. Um, and this would make us an enemy of God if we we're doing this. And, and James gives us emphasis by repeating it twice. Verse 5. Uh, what do you think the scriptures mean when they say the spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy, but he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires? It's not actually known what scripture um, James is referring to here in verse 5 um, because there's not actually direct matches in scripture previous. Um, and so it's thought that perhaps this verse is referring to the verses prior or maybe a, a summary of scripture. Uh, there's also two main translations of this verse which sound actually a bit different. Um, translations like the NIV and NLT put it this way. What do you think the scriptures mean when they say the spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy, but he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires? Uh, then you've got others like the NASB and there's quite a few other translations that would put it, do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him, and he gives us grace generously. So, yeah, one seems to be talking about a negative um, and one seems to be talking about a positive. So they've got quite a different approach there to obviously interpreting um, that. Within this context, I would tend to stick with that second uh, translation because it fits in with what James is trying to say um, and teach here. Um, he's just been talking about how we should not commit idolatry or, or adultery with God um, by being a friend of this world. So the translation that our spirit should be faithful to him um, and then he's jealous for that relationship with us uh, seems to fit. Um, other translations um, put it even a slightly different way and say that the spirit within us envies a relationship with God 
um, which is along the lines of the, the second translation I just gave as well, if you think about it. Um, if anyone wanted to study that further, I'd, I'd leave it to... Um, I haven't gone much deeper than that. Um, there doesn't seem to be any definite answer given by the, the different sources I've looked up there. So the bottom line is, though, we commit adultery with God um, when, when we might, let's say, worship the things of the flesh. Um, and so we need to make sure what we do, we need God's grace um, and forgiveness for this. Verse 6, And the scriptures say, as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but favors the humble. So Proverbs 3 verse 34 is that passage of scripture being quoted here. Humility is so central to this um, chapter, or these two um, parts of chapter uh, the, of James that we've been looking at. Um, it comes up over and over again. And it's that acknowledging our sinfulness and not trying to hide it if our motives are wrong, but bringing these before God, laying them before him. Pride is so damaging to our faith because it shows that we are boasting in our own goodness, um, in our own righteousness and works. And this is in direct opposition to the gospel. As Paul repeats over and over again, we have nothing to boast in except for in Christ. Pride can also be a barrier to, to someone becoming a follower of Jesus. So often that people's responses to, to something the gospel is shared with them is that they are a good person, um, and that's just pride. All that a person needs to do um, is take a look in the mirror, which is the law, um, and, they will, and if they honestly examine themselves, they will soon see their desperate need for grace. So now that James has addressed the areas causing conflict within the church, uh, he now gives us some solutions um, in the next four verses. Uh, verses 7 and 8. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Resisting the devil. Um, another term that James uses here within the book is, is resisting temptations, um, as he talks about in chapter 1. So resist the world, the lusts of the flesh. Um, and he says you, they'll flee from you. And, and I think what he's talking about there is freedom from that. Draw close to God, and God will draw close to you. So how do we draw close to God, right? A um, couple of things. Um, time in Scripture, both listening and doing what the Word says. Fellowship with believers, prayer, worship, thanksgiving. There's so many things that we can deepen our relationship with God and our knowledge of Him. James says to make sure our loyalty isn't divided between God and the world. As he says, if we are a friend of the world, we make ourselves an enemy of God. Matthew 6, 24, we can't serve two masters. We need to make sure we aren't just Sunday Christians. Uh, we shouldn't just be examining ourselves by the, the scriptures each Sunday um, like a mirror and then walking away out the door um, and forgetting those imperfections that the law identified within us. We are told to seek purity of our hearts, and this links back to what James said about godly wisdom, that is, first of all, pure. Uh, verse 9. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Uh, this passage of Scripture is obviously directed 
um, at those who James is writing to at the time. And, and as you just heard, there's been quarreling, fighting, scheming um, because of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And they've become friends of this world. Uh, so we shouldn't take this verse, well, I don't think we should take this verse to say that we shouldn't be joyful or smile, um, but rather that we need to humble, humbly acknowledge our sinful position before God. Um, and then when we make mistakes, we should be repentant and saddened in our heart um, for grieving God. Verse 10. Uh, humble yourselves before God and he will lift you up in honor. When we have sinned um, and we humbly come before God with sorrow in our hearts what we have done, then James says that he will lift us up in honor. Uh, God shows grace to those that are humble. Jesus gave a parable on this, um, which I think wraps this up really nicely, and we'll finish there. So in Luke 18, um, we find this parable. Luke chapter 18, and we'll be picking up at verse 9. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men came to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else, for I don't cheat, I don't sin, and I don't commit adultery. I am certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O oh God, be merciful for, to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Uh, so I'll wrap it up there, and I'll save the rest of the chapter for next time. But as a bit of a summary of what we've covered, quarrels and fighting uh, among the church are worldly and spiritual and, and can even be demonic. Um, obviously, that's not talking about biblical correction. Um, we are to seek God's wisdom, um, for godly wisdom and understanding, which will be evidence in our pure actions. It is also gentle, peaceful, and, and willing to be corrected. Um, it is sincere um, and also shows no favoritism. Uh, number three, we should not show jealousy towards one another or seek positions within the church for selfish ambition reasons. Uh, number four, uh, we're not to be friends of this world, but are rather to submit ourselves to God. And number five, resist temptations, seek God hold hard, wholeheartedly with humility, um, and come before him with repentance. And number six, and everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Uh, these teachings um, through James for me have been really challenging and convicting as I've put together um, each sermon. Uh, it feels a bit like my actions and thoughts have been put on trial um, against the scriptures each time I, I read through. Um, but it, it's, it's been so good. And we've also got to remember that the law is there to show us how sinful we are. Um, we're not saved by our good works, but through Jesus Christ alone. Um, and the more we see our sinfulness, the, the more we can um, just be so thankful for that grace um, that covers those sins. And I'll close in prayer. Uh, Lord, we just 
thank you um, that we can humbly come before you. Uh, Lord, I pray that we won't be proud of heart, um, that we will just uh, look to your scriptures to, to deepen our relationship with you, Lord, that we will pursue godly wisdom, we will pursue purity of heart, um, and, and that we might be an effective um, body of Christ. Um, and, and yeah, I just uh, pray that um, you'll give each each person here a real hunger for your word. Um, and I pray these things in your name. Amen.